Well, as everyone's aware, this morning is part of our Memorial Day celebration as a nation, observance, and uh, the purpose of Memorial Day, of course, is to give thought and appreciation for men and women who actually gave their lives in service of our country, in the defense of our freedom, and uh, I think we just need to take a, a minute to think about that. And I'm just wondering if there are people here who, you know, you're connected to a family member who gave their life. They, you have uh, someone in your family, extended family perhaps, who, who gave their life. They actually made the ultimate sacrifice while defending our country. And if, if you're here, would, would you stand and just represent them if... There is someone in the room who, it's kind of remarkable, isn't it? It's not a bad thing. I'm just saying it's, it's a remarkable thing. And still we are so grateful, are, are we not, for, for the price that was paid, for us to be able to do this without coercion, without license, without government interference without another country ruling us and uh, we're so grateful for that. Lord, we are grateful for that. We are grateful in the name of your son Jesus that you have made a place like America. We thank you for this land, this nation with all of its problems. We thank you for it and we come to you in gratitude this morning For those men and women who placed themselves in harm's way and who paid the ultimate price for us to be able to be the people that we are today, God, teach us to honor that not only on a day but in everything that we do in the way that we live and the way that we think about our country and our democracy. God, we just invite you to come now and receive our our gratitude And to bless those families today who do celebrate it with the knowledge of the loss of a particular person. Would you bless them today in very special ways? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, just a heads up to you high school kids. We're not at 4 o'clock this afternoon. We are at 7 o'clock tonight at Rachel Forney's house for a bonfire. Whoop, whoop. If you are an eighth grader, uh, you're advised to come, welcome to come, urged to come, and join the high school youth group tonight. It's your promotion time. We don't have anything in particular. Oh, what? Yeah, eighth graders. Okay, if you're the parent of an eighth grader, then uh, send them tonight. Bring them tonight at 7, starts at 7, ends at 8.30. Parents, please pick up your kids on time, okay? 8.30. If you, if you need some help getting out to the Forneys, it's just a little bit south of Grove City, um, we have address cards on the, on the welcome desk. So you can just grab one of those and punch it in, and we'll see you at 7, okay? It is great to be back from the royal wedding. Oh. It was quite an affair, and I think there was one in England as well, but there was also one on our farm that was very special, and we married our our oldest granddaughter, and it was remarkable, and uh, uh, it, was, it was great. And I just got to say something about 
Elder Atul Pande here. Did he bring the freight or what? And uh, I listened to that on Tuesday and was, was just so impressed and touched by the Holy Spirit in the word that he brought that I'm nominating him as senior pastor. All in favor, say aye. All right, come on up. It's all yours. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we are so grateful for you, Atul, and your willingness to do that, and the Lord really used you. I know you took it very seriously. Well, today we're going to continue in our Jars of Clay series. This will be the last one, I think, for it. I think we'll finish her up today. Good Lord willing, in the crick don't rise. And uh, we're going to be finishing up this concept that we are vessels of Holy Spirit, that we are made by God. Part of our purpose in being redeemed by the blood of Christ is so that he would have ready vessels to fill up with himself so that we can then go and overflow and be used as agents of his ministry, yes? Yeah, and part of that is the gifts of the Spirit. We started talking about last time, spiritual gifts, these capacities that God writes into our hard drive as believers that he can use then for his glory. And I showed you in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, that as those who are gifted in various ways that we are actually agents of the grace of God. That we are, it's not just something kind of we're doing for organizational church. It's not that at all. It's that we are specifically gifted to deliver the grace of God, the grace of God to one another through these, through these giftings. I think that's, that's just fantastic. And I, I, as we talk about spiritual gifts this morning, I want us to think about that it's just another way that God breaks into our world. It's just another way that God breaks into our world, only he uses the likes of us to do it. And as he fills us, he overflows us and breaks into our world. Okay? Um, there are two principal passages for spiritual gifts. One is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The other is Romans chapter 12. And there are other places in the New Testament that talk about what the spiritual gifts are. I've listed my 21 favorites up here. There are, there are more, a few more, and you kind of get into a discourse about how to interpret certain passages, whether it's actually a spiritual gift or not. I think that belabors the point. I think that God wants to work through you. Here are, here are our top ways of working through you. I just like you to kind of read through that as I'm talking and uh, see if you can spot yourself up there anywhere. And notice that some of these spiritual gifts, they're, they're kind of the spectacular ones, right? Like the faith and the miracles and the healing and the tongues and the interpretation. It's like, whoo, yeah? And then others seem more routine, you know, like teaching and administration and leadership and helps and generosity, those kind of things. And uh, they, they kind of come off that way to the point that the ones that aren't the sign gifts, we call them, where it's a, true, a clear sign of the presence of God, like healing, that the, the more maybe we would call them routine gifts, sometimes we say, well, that's just, isn't that just an onboard natural ability? And I like to think of it this way. Does anybody own a power washer? Yeah, I know, Right? Aren't they amazing, right? You got your faucet, and you know, you're not that little thing, and it's just not getting the thing done. But you plug that into a power washer, and what happens? Man, it just really blasts, right? 
Well, you may have a capacity for some of those things in the natural, but when you plug yourself into Holy Spirit, then it, it, it's exponentially greater, and it's for his glory. Maybe you could think about that that way. But there are three things that I really want you to know about spiritual gifts, and the first is that each gift of the Spirit has a specific purpose. As you can see, they, they, they touch different things. But the, this is This is God doing the things he wants to do through you. And so when you begin to see and get in touch with your spiritual gifts, then God wants to do certain things through you. And he'll do certain other things through the person next to you and next to you and next to you until his will is accomplished because they have each has a a specific function, right? The second thing I want you to know is that each gift of the Spirit is a specific demonstration of the power of God. This is so important to get. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said when the Holy Spirit comes on you, John, you're going to receive power. And now, these gifts that by his choice, the Bible says, no, we don't earn the gifts. We don't, one doesn't get certain gifts because they're better than anybody else. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, God just distributes them in the body as he wants them to be. They're called gifts of grace, by the way. And so, by his grace. But John, you'll receive power. You receive power as you dwell in the Holy Spirit. And then he manifests his power through you in these things. So that when you function in these spiritual gifts, it is God at work. It is God in his power. Another thing I want you to know about spiritual gifts is that each gift of the Spirit is of equal validity and importance. That you look up there and go, wow, it'd be cool to have that gift or this gift or one, or how could you ever get along without that gift? Well, in in reality, we need all of the spiritual gifts functioning well within the body for the whole thing to be done, for the whole thing to be healthy. So in no way can we say that any one of those gifts, while it might even seem seem routine or behind the scenes, some of them, unseen, is of any less value or any less valid than some of the more dramatic gifts. You with me? Well, I just want you to take encouragement in that. That whatever your gift mix is as a believer, you are an equally important part of the body of Christ. Paul makes a big fuss about that in 1 Corinthians 12. He says the hand shouldn't say to the foot because you're, you know, and the body start talking to each other going, well, I'm better than you. Unless we each get in touch with our spiritual gifts and surrender to God in the midst of them, then God's will is not accomplished in the way that he desires it to be accomplished. So these are the things that I want you to understand about spiritual gifts. And um, I think there are a couple of things that will help you to, 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 to get in touch with us in a healthy way. First of all, discover what your spiritual gifts are. Find yourself in the list. And it's probably a combination of several, Right? Uh, find yourself in the list and surrender to that. 
That's who I am. Just you, let's say you have, and this is, not, this is not definitive, but let's just say hypothetically you have three spiritual gifts. The, what are the top three things on that screen that you would say define you as a believer? That's how God uses you. Well, surrender to that. And then you're going to find your place in the body. And as you function there, and as we each function in that surrender, good things happen. I function in three primary spiritual gifts in this order. Intercession. I, I live to pray. I, I don't know how not to pray. It's, it's on board. It's a gift. Now, you're saying, so if you don't have the gift of intercession, you don't have to pray? No, not at all. But I'm saying, I can't not pray. I don't know how to move forward in a day without prayer. That's, that's a gifting. That's something that God has put inside of me. My second is teaching. It's what I do. I don't know if outside of the church I would be good at communicating. I don't know. Maybe. But when I do it here, the power washer's on, right? And you're like, you're like how does he know that? I, I didn't know that about you. This is Holy Spirit bringing it all together, right? And sometimes you're stirred as I teach and you go, what is he doing to me? I'm not doing anything to you. I'm the tall, bald guy overflowing with Holy Spirit and the gift of teaching, and it's just getting on you. So that's how that rolls. And my third is shepherding. I truly love you. I care about you. I want to help you. I want to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. So these are my, these are my primary gifts that I, that I, in, which, in which I function. Now, are there times when I wish I had the gift of evangelism? Absolutely. Now, I do evangelize, but just sort of normal like anybody else, because we're all called to share the gospel, right? But if you notice, some people share it, and people's fruit starts falling into their basket, right? That's a gift of evangelism. Are there times when I function in a prophetic way? Yes, but it's less, it's, it's, it's less than the onboard three, the big three. Are you getting that? And I tell you that story just so you can think about yourself. What are, it's not that you won't move around in some of the other gifts from time to time, but what are your big three? Surrender to God with, with the, let's say, the three that he places in you, and then be willing to operate in the others as it is necessary or as God calls you. Does that make sense? Say yes, we'll start again. The second important thing I think you got to get about spiritual gifts is use them as overflow. I see some people trying really hard to serve God. And it's not that there's not effort, there's not sacrifice. Of course there is. But the true power of spiritual gifts comes when it's God doing it and you're overflowing. Now what that means is that the important thing for you to do on a day-to-day basis is live in dynamic relationship with God through his Holy Spirit, yes? Because then you're full. So then when it's time to go on, whatever your on is, you're not, oh, i got to figure out how to be hospitable or generous or merciful. It's just, it just flows. It just happens. 
So this is all a part of the bigger picture we've been talking about for several weeks of being filled with Holy Spirit and just, just letting it flow. Just letting it flow. Another thing about spiritual gifts that's so important for us, use them in season. Here's what I mean by that. In different times in our lives, this, the same spiritual gift flows differently. I teach very differently than I did 30 years ago. Very differently. But I was using that gift in season as a younger man. In the same way in intercession. And in the same way in shepherding. I just want you to think about how as we move through life, we need to use our gifts in season according to the level of maturity that we have gained. So that changes. And so two weeks ago, when I made a fuss about there being three generations, the 20 to 40s, the 40s to 60s, and the 60s plus, um, I think you need to think about that. Think about where you are and that there's a demonstration of spiritual gifts through you that is connected to your season. That's connected to your season. And so the best, the best thing that I can do right now is not try to function in my spiritual gifts as a 25-year-old, but as a 62-year-old. Because I'm in the season where God calls us to commend the works of God to another. Now, some people in, in my, maybe in my season are getting nervous about this kind of talk. Saying, man, he's taking away our stuff. I'm giving you something. I'm giving you the opportunity to function in spiritual gifting according to your season. Make sure you get that. I'm asking you to take something, not give something away. I'm asking you to take up your place. I've been working with this first batch, this 20 to 40. They're a mess. They don't know crap from apple butter. They're, they're, they're a mess. I love them beyond words. But they need us. They need us. And if, if we're trying to hold on to our space and our ministry and our turf, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose it all. Because in season, we are called to fully function as members of the body of Christ, as respected members of the body of Christ, and commending the works of the Lord. That doesn't mean you stop doing what you're doing. It means as you do it, you commend the works of the Lord. So function in season. And if you are one of those little puppies that I'm working with down here, receive from us. Let us speak into your life. You're not as smart as you think you are. You don't have it all figured out. I know you can Google stuff, but there's something you can't get from Google, and that's spiritual anointing that we have to give to you. Okay? And we want to give it to you. So use your gifting in season. Okay. That's it, but i got to talk about something else. Because whenever you talk about spiritual gifts, this question comes up. And the question is, what about the gift of tongues? People seem to want to talk about that. They seem to want to argue about it. 
and they seem to want to say this is how it is. And one of the interesting things about the division in the church on the gift of tongues is it's so entirely unnecessary. The gift of tongues is more clearly explained in the Bible than any of the other gifts. It tells us exactly what it is, exactly how to do it, and exactly how not to do it. And yet people set up these camps as though it's not explained. I'm going to give you the explanation. Say thanks, Tom. What is the gift of tongues, you ask? It is the gift of tongues is the supernatural ability to speak in a previously unlearned language. Wow, now that sounds complicated, doesn't it? That suddenly a person can, by the Holy Spirit, speak in a language that they've never learned before. That's cool. There are two varieties of this. There we go. There are two varieties. Isn't that a great transition? <laughs> I just found that this week. <laughs> You're going to see it every week forever now, all right? Like, I wonder when the curtains are going to be this Sunday. Uh, I just, I mean. That, that's worth the price of admission, isn't it? How do they do that? I don't know. Let's talk about two varieties of the gift of tongues. Listen fast. The first one is called xenolalia. Xenolalia. There are two kinds of tongues in the, in the New Testament. And you'll find xenolalia in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 13, where the Holy Spirit poured himself out on the church and people started speaking in tongues. But what was happening is people from other languages, other countries, were hearing the gospel in their own language, right? So this was... So what this is, is it's speaking in a previously unlearned earthly language for the pur purpose of proclaiming the gospel. Zeno means foreign. So it's a language of foreigners. Now that's one kind of tongue. It'd be pretty remarkable to be in that situation, wouldn't it? I, when I, several times I've been to India, I've prayed for it so I didn't have to use two interpreters and so we could get somewhere in less than three hours time, Right? So far it hasn't happened, but I've been praying for it, okay? The, the other kind of tongues is glossolalia, by far the more common. You can see that completely discussed in a whole chapter. It'll tell you exactly what it is, how it works, when to do it, when not to do it, when you need an interpreter, and such. Couldn't be more clear. Uh, and what that is, is batteries, there we go, is speaking in an unlearned spiritual language, Hello? For the purpose of public prophecy or private prayer and worship. So that suddenly you have this utterance coming out of you that is of the Spirit, and it could be one of two things. It could be something that is to be publicly said so that everyone hears this, but the Bible says, don't do that unless what? Unless there's an interpreter present. Because what good is it for, for uh, it's, it will sound like gibberish to you, and it will have no value for the church. That's a prophetic glossolalia. Um, the other kind, by far more common, is a language of prayer and worship. And I speak in tongues every day, I would, I would say, because what happens for me is that a long time ago, because of my intercession and my heart to pray, 
I ran out of stuff. I ran out of ways to tell God what was on my heart. I ran out of words that I knew. And the Bible says in Romans 8 that when we don't know how to pray, that the Spirit intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And that's what's... So if my gift of tongues is by far a subset of my gift of intercession, does that make sense? And we were worshiping right here. And it was such rich worship that I just began praising God and singing in tongues. I didn't sing so I hope... I don't know if you guys heard me. I hope not. I, I try not to command any attention because the Bible says that if there's no, First Corinthians 14, if there's no interpreter present, that person should keep that between himself and God. But you are free to speak in tongues here, of course. Of course you are. But if you have the kind of gift of tongues that I have, a prayer and praise, it is not something you should ever draw attention to. Right? Because that would require an interpreter. Is that so hard? Why the confusion? I'll tell you why. Because of that. Will everyone who is filled with Holy Spirit speak in tongues? Man, that's such the question. Because you got people who will tell you, unless you speak in tongues, you're not filled with Holy Spirit. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Will everyone speak in tongues? Well, the Bible says no. Paul... He just read it for us. Paul said, you know, hey, it'd be great if you all spoke in tongues, but what I'd much rather is you could all prophesy and bring the word of God to people. The Bible says that not everyone will speak in tongues. Well, where did that come from? That, came, that comes from the Pentecostal perspective. And the Pentecostal perspective rose at the beginning of the 20th century in a wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Azusa Street where people were overcome by the Holy Spirit and they all began to speak in tongues. And what they said was, well, then this is normative because, because we as people are filled with the Holy Spirit, we spoke in tongues, then that's what's supposed to happen for everybody. Well, I got news. You know, my world isn't the world, right? My world isn't your world. Good for you, right? And the Pentecostal perspective is built on four places in the book of Acts where Holy Spirit came and people spoke in tongues. But it completely ignores other parts of the New Testament where Holy Spirit came and people did not speak in tongues. So those two things should never be attached. In Acts chapter 1, 8, as I said, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power, what's the next line? power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I think if, I think if every time we were going to be, uh, every time we were filled with the Holy Spirit, we would speak in tongues, that would have been a really good time for him to say that, don't you? But he didn't. So no, everyone will not speak in tongues. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't desire it. Because here's the next question. Should everyone at least try to speak in tongues? I, 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 I want to say, please don't. Please don't. Here's where really bad religion comes. Is when you got a tall, bald guy. Whoops, sorry. That's myself. I'm just apologizing to myself. For, uh, there's a lot going on up here today. 
You got somebody who's speaking in tongues publicly, somebody who maybe is looked up to, and so they think, well, hey, that's the thing to be. That's the thing to do. And so it's like, okay, everybody who wants to speak in tongues, come on up. We're going to pray for you to speak in tongues, all of which is fine. But here's where it can go wrong. Okay, just start making sounds. There are groups who say, just say Abba, 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 Abba. I just say this, just say that. Because you've got to help the Holy Spirit. You've got to give him something to work with. That doesn't sound right on the surface, does it? Come on, come on. That doesn't sound right on the surface. That sounds like social pressure. And that's where bad religion comes. Any kind of social pressure. You've got to dress a certain way. You've got to drive a certain car. You've got to be a certain person. That's just bad religion. That's no, I, I, I just, you know, God said you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. So don't, don't, don't try to speak in tongues. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't desire it. If, that, if you feel a stirring like, I wouldn't, I'd like to know if the Lord would like to release the gift of tongues in me, that's fine. The Bible says eagerly desire the greater gifts. If in your view, the gift of tongues strikes you as a greater gift, ask him. Desire it. You won't have to help him when it comes, I promise you. (laughs) And then, as you receive the gift of tongues, function according to 1 Corinthians 14. It's not about you. It's not about drawing attention. It's about having, you know, it's kind of a, for me, it's kind of, a language of intimacy with the Father. It's like all these years of speaking in tongues, it just, it just says something from my heart to God that I don't have American words for. Okay. All right. So the question is, do you want to speak in tongues? Just ask yourself that. Is that something you'd like to do? That's not the most important question. But it's a, it's a question. The more important question is this. Which ones are you? How has God equipped you with spiritual gifting? Which ones are you? You see yourself up there somewhere? You maybe see yourself up there somewhere? This is when the church becomes the church. When the body begins functioning in the gifts of the Spirit. Do you want Holy Spirit to fill you, to refill you? Are you ready for more? I had lunch this week with a wonderful brother in the Lord. He's a pastor at a nearby church, and uh, he's in a denomination that's not known for the move of the Holy Spirit in the ways that we think. And he asked if we could have lunch. I'd never met him before. And I didn't know what he wanted to talk about. But he he just said, he's just hungry. He's just thirsty for God and the move of the Holy Spirit. And I remember before finding my way to the vineyard how thirsty I was for for Holy Spirit in my life and was in a, a similar system as his where it's not like it's forbidden, it just wasn't a high value. 
and how frustrated I felt so many times of, Lord, I know there's more. I, and it turns out there is a lot more. This brother was just so hungry, so authentic. I just fell in love with him. I asked him if he wanted to be the next senior pastor. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> My elder is over there going, no, come on, Tom, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> He's just a lovely man. So thirsty. You know, here at the Vineyard, there's a lot of stuff that other churches do a lot better than us. I mean, that's just really a true thing. But what we have, our part of the church in this community, is to constantly and consistently set a table for you to experience Holy Spirit. That's not something that happens everywhere. It's what we're called to do. And I, just, I was reflecting on my lunch with that guy this week and just thinking about how frustrated he is that he doesn't seem to have sort of opportunity in community to express and pursue Holy Spirit the way his heart wants to. And he's trying so hard. He's looking for so many ways. And then I think about us. And I wonder if we've taken for granted this table that's set. I wonder if we just know, oh, well, that's where he's going to ask people to come up and some are going to come. And I wonder just if we've taken for granted this amazing privilege that the Lord has given us to be among the ones who invite people to encounter him in such a personal, intimate, powerful way. So my question to you is, are you resisting Holy Spirit's move in your life? Are you resisting? Are you still at arm's length? And if yes, can you just have a conversation with yourself about why that is? Some of you are ready for more. And you're ready for me to stop talking so we can get to it. But some of you are resisting. I just want you to ponder the reasons why and if those reasons are good enough to support your resistance. We're going to pray for the move of Holy Spirit here and he's going to release gifts. Some of you will speak in tongues. Always happens. Come on. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We don't have to shout. You're right here. We don't have to cajole God. We don't have to manipulate. So open your heart. Open your hands, maybe. Sometimes it's, take the posture that's natural to you, of course. But Holy Spirit comes. Your church, not my church, your church, Holy Spirit. Come now. <laughs>